Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. And welcome to episode 76 of Anime World Order. We're recording this just prior to Christmas, even though this episode will not be released before Christmas. <laughs> the original plan was record either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. <laughs> Didn't we do that last year or something? Yeah, I, maybe. I think so. When everybody else is with their families, we're sitting around recording anime podcasts. Yep. Something like that. Maybe New Year's Eve. Wait, no, we've got better plans for New Year's Eve. That's right. Yes. We do? Yeah, we have to watch the movie. Oh, yes, my Christmas we present. E- we have to end the year as it began. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By watching Dungeon Siege, unrated director's cut with 35 <laughs> extra minutes, or maybe not, I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll make sure that as many people as we can get there will be there, including my new roommate. Oh, wait, so this is your Christmas present? Like somebody got it for you? Yes. Oh, excellent. I got a new roommate as well for Christmas, and we'll watch it with her. Just to get some of the basic things out of the way, this is, again, Anime World Order. Check out the website at www.animeworldorder.com. Email us at animeworldorder at gmail.com or call our voicemail, 206-666-4296. The last voicemail we got was a guy saying, why don't you change the voicemail message? Because it's like telling us lies, like, and we'll play your voicemail on the show if you leave us a voicemail. (laughs) And he's like... You're a liar. You got like 200 voicemails that you haven't played. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. But it's just like how the website, if you go to it, it says one show comes out a week. I don't think that's happened for the last two years. Uh, but we're just going to keep it there anyway. Speaking of which, this is basically our uh, third year anniversary as we record this. Yeah, though. either that or the... Um, Fourth year anniversary when it comes out. So, who are you and who are we and such? I am Gerald Rathgold. So, but yeah, I'm Daryl Surratt. Before I forget my own name, <laughs> I'm suffering from bouts of of bad sleep patterns because I was supposed to go to a Christmas party at Gerald's and I fell asleep and I woke up and it was like eleven. And then today I went to bed at six in the morning editing the podcast and I woke up at four. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, that's my day gone. Yeah. Uh. And hey guys, I'm Clarissa. What, no wonderful story or anything? (sighs) No, my life's been pretty boring lately. I've been doing a lot of housework, trying to get Uh. everything back under control. Because we've been so busy, we've fallen horribly behind, and the house is in a horrible state. See, since we sometimes forget to do this, we better talk about what exactly it is we're going to talk about this episode. But we told them at the end of last episode. (laughs) Yeah, more or less. I am going to talk about a magnificent OAV and also a a short manga series, but it's kind of no point talking about the manga because the OAV covers pretty much everything. It's by a visionary gentleman by the name of Hirohiko Araki. Possibly his magnum opus work, the one he's best uh, received critical praise for and what he's going to be remembered for for all time. I'm, of course, talking about Bao. (laughs) Clearly. 
Clearly. Yes. Oh, the visitor. Obviously. One of the greatest things. Yeah, he did that little uh, other thing off to the side. Some that other... Jojo's thing. I'm going to let Clarissa talk about that yeah. one. That's not as important as Bao. Yeah, clearly. No. I am going to be taking a look at something that... Also, we, we were trying to get, like, Hiruhiko Araki, like, episode. But his resume is kind of like, hmm. I can just do this for the rest of my life. And so, I don't know if we were really able to get three things, since I don't think any of us uh, have... The magical Gorgeous girl Irene show. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. So we settled for the next best thing. Yeah, I'm going to do the next best thing, <laughs> which is a uh, three-part OAV series based on a manga by Tetsuya Saruwatari, who might be better known for such things as Dog Soldier and Rikio. Oh, boy. This is uh, called High School Exciting Story Tough, or the anime is called uh, Shoot Fighter Tekken. I have no clue where they got Shoot Fighter Tekken from. Does it involve the cure to AIDS? Oh. It does not involve the cure to <laughs> no. AIDS, okay. but it is definitely worthy of carrying the name that, yes, this was written by the man, <laughs> trained oh. by Kazuo Koike. Oh. This is quite possibly one of the most surprising things I have seen. There's different angles of surprise to this. Yes. Whether you read the manga or watch the anime. Ah. And I will be talking about something that was supposed to be in a previous episode. I'm sure people have been uh, waiting for it. I've gotten several requests. We are going to be talking, finally, about part four of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Now I have to remember to say all the same things that I said the last yeah. time, but I'm going to forget. Yeah, it, it had to be delayed because I wasn't really happy with the previous recording of it, so we're re-recording it. But it works out because the delay got us the combination of JoJo's and Bao, so yeah. it's appropriate. I can forgive it in that circumstance. <laughs> Personally, I thought the last review was awesome, but we can do it again, whatever. Yeah. It's all good. It's all a matter of perspective. Like, yeah. I tend to wonder if I shouldn't redo the Spriggan review at some point, because now yeah. it's been all... Well, oh, yeah, the Spriggan yeah, review never, never happened, remember? It didn't, it's yeah. not even a redo. It's, it would be a do. Well, it would be a redo because I reviewed it, and I just didn't like how it turned out, and we just never used it. Oh, okay. So in that sense, it would be a redo, but I just wasn't really happy with how I did Spriggan way back when, so, right. so I know the feeling. We also have some emails to get through. Only a couple. Only a few. So we're going to make Let's a giant... How many we got? We're gonna... 264 is the count yeah. at the moment. We're going to make a gigantic dent in that, so I'm going to By answering one. three of them. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! This one here is by Jeff Watkins. All hail the Bavarian Illuminati. I've been listening to your podcast for a couple of months and have a few questions. Recently, several websites have been saying that Ipatsu Kikumusume has been licensed. Do any of you have any information regarding this? I can answer that. No, it has not been licensed. I think the reason why people started to think it was licensed is because the episodes used to be up on Crunchyroll, and then they got taken down. Basically, whenever Crunchyroll takes down anything, regardless of whether or not the fan subber is asked to do it, or a licensor asks, or anyone, they just say, oh, this has been removed due to a request from, like, copyright or something mm. like that. Hmm. And that makes people think, oh, is this thing licensed? But no, it's not. They just, they're taking down everything because they're going pretty much 100% legit. Ah. Which is really weird to me because Ipatsukiki Musume, not that they're taking stuff down, but that, that show would be perfect to license because it's... Yeah. I've been saying it yeah. for years. I've been saying, like, how Colorful got licensed yeah. and came out. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. It'd all be on one DVD, and it's awesome. Yeah. But, nope, no one wants to do it. And they also, since me. that was one of the earliest Digisubs ever done, it yeah. could really use a DVD release. But Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know that Crunchyroll also took down, like, Potemayo, and they mm. said that that had been licensed. They said on the site it had been licensed, but 
I haven't heard anything more. Yeah, it seems like something that would get licensed, but... Yeah. And secondly, Gerald has professed a deep and abiding love for the Dirty Pair OAVs and movies. How does he feel about Dirty Pair Flash? Hopefully you three will continue with the quality of work for many years to come. Sincerely, the Spoonie Bard. For the record, Gerald also likes the original Dirty Pair TV series. Yeah, I do like most of the Dirty Pair stuff. Dirty Pair Flash is one of those things where the first episode of it is quite possibly the worst single episode of anime ever made. Yeah, it's pretty ever. awful. That's actually all I've ever watched of it. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely awful. And what's worse... It fails is that... the one-episode test hard. Yeah. yeah, and the worst part is, is that the first arc of it. Like, the Dirty Pair Flash series is kind of divided up into these three arcs. Mm. Different stories. Wait, there's a story to Dirty Pair? Yes, there is. It's more of a setting, mm. sort of, but the first arc slash setting is probably the least interesting of them. Oh, yeah, that's always rough. Yeah, the later ones actually aren't nearly as bad. There's actually one, the setting where there's this enormous theme park that is set up to look like the modern day world, which is kind of an excuse for the Dirty Pair to get into problems that might affect a person in modern day. Mm. And that one wasn't too bad, but Flash in general is kind of an up and down thing because the original creator of it, Takao Takachio, didn't like the Dirty Pair OAVs and the movies mm -hmm. because he said they strayed far too far from his original novels. He worked directly with them on Flash, and then Flash is even further from the novel than anything. <laughs> How did that happen? Okay, because I was about to say, like, wow, Flash must be the closer one. Maybe his novels just suck. I don't know where he gets Flash from, seriously. Oh. In the novels, it was really weird because Kay and Yuri had psychic powers. Interesting. And uh, they clearly do not have that in either Flash or the original series. Yeah. So, Just yeah. guns and explosives. But yeah, Dirty Pair Flash, uh, it's skippable, really. Mm. Like, I think there's probably better things to spend your time on. If you're a hard, hardcore Dirty Pair fan, right. then, and you can survive through those first, what, six episodes yeah. or so, then it will get better. But getting better after those first six episodes is just kind of like... It's asking a little much of people. <laughs> yes. I mean, the entire series is like 13 episodes, and I'm not going to say, mm -hmm. sit through half of the show and it'll get better. Right. I, mean, I would just say skip, because it's not like Dirty Pair has this highly continuous plot line yeah. you could skip yeah, straight simple. to the good episodes or the comparatively good episodes the Bernardi Bear Flash is pretty cheap now I know people who bought it for like 10 bucks yeah. or something the entire series the right? entire series so those are my feelings on Dirty Pair Flash. I still think that the, the movie is far, yeah. far superior. Yeah. The best Dirty Pair is the stuff that like ADV put out as those original Dirty Pair OAVs mm -hmm. and movie thin pack that's like super duper cheap I think it yeah. was like seven dollars when I bought it yeah and uh, cause it's got like Project Eden and Flight I mean, I'm not as big as Flight 005 and Affair on Nolandia which someone on Anime Jump says is the worst thing he's ever watched who, which that is that was Christian dumb. Nutt fuck that guy fuck you <laughs> Christian Nutt I've hated Christian Nutt for decades I've been saying like man this motherfucker like if you draw a Venn diagram of like what Christian Nutt wants to see and what I want to see there's one tangent intersecting point and it's Utena but I never respected Christian Nuts opinions a damn, and I always hated him. But nowadays, I think I'm redirecting my former anti-Christian nut rhetoric to Chris Schmidt, the guy from Japanator.com. <laughs> Godland, Godland, you're in my sights oh. right now. You're going down Man, for being in Famitsu when I was not in Famitsu. Yeah. Unacceptable. Christian Nut at least is off doing his true love, writing for. Xbox magazine or whatever it is he does nowadays. So Only Japanator and, and R5 Central people were cool enough. <laughs> yeah, well, R5 Central's already in our sights and Aaron's already in our sights, so it's just Chris who needs to be <laughs> added to the in our sights list because you know, Heidi and Mike and 
Aaron, they're all part of the AWO hammer. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck anybody who says that Flight 005 is worse than Vice Croix and worse than Dog Soldier and everything uh. else. Well, Dog Soldier's pretty entertaining. Uh. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> We also hated City Hunter the movie a lot, too. That was pretty good, I thought. Well, maybe he hated City Hunter the Secret Service. I'm getting them mixed up. But he mm. had a definite dislike for City Hunter, which is, again, more unforgivable things on the part of Christian Nutt. And Mike Tool's like, but he's a good writer, isn't he? And I'm like, I guess. <laughs> was your voice you know, deep enough in the, in the sense that he is able to write something in an hour. And, and have a review turned in, but oh well. Oh well. Anyway, yes. more emails that are more better than things related to Christian <laughs> Nutt. This one is from Kenny, and he has a very simple question, also related to Ipatsu Kiki Musume. Hello, AWO. After watching Ipatsu Kiki Musume and Kaiji, I want to find more anime with narrators. The only other anime with a narrator that I know of is Nobody's Boy Remy. Do any of you know of any other ones? Thanks for reading. Legend now, I mean, of the Galactic Heroes. I was going to say that one first, Legend of the Galactic Heroes, but to uh, clarify, I think uh, what he's asking about is a noteworthy narrator. Yeah. <laughs> lots Sorry. and lots of shows have yes. narrators in them, but a lot of them are just the narrator saying, oh, next time on the mm -hmm. show is this. And I don't think that's what he's asking about. No, I think, no. you know, the show is with like the omnipresent narrator. Yeah. And I think if we want to go for like the torchbearer, for American anime fandom, it's got to be Robotech narrator yes. guy, Tom Weiner. <laughs> Robotech narrator is, I know Carl Horn's <laughs> eternal running joke over the years is, you know, Robotech would be better if it weren't for the narrator explaining every single minute detail. Right. Like, Rick felt bad that he had a sucking chest wound, <laughs> which is a variant that's not that far off the mark. But, you know, there's one like after they get rescued, after being trapped underneath the Macross for however long, and he collapses. And then the narrator comes in. And it's like, Rick was exhausted following his ordeal. Thank you, motherfucker. I can see <laughs> what is happening in front of me. And I so, think yeah, that was just, just like 80s style narration. 80s style, like you're not allowed to have yeah. silence. Yeah, that's at actually all. one of the biggest complaints I have with Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Eventually, I just got so sick of the narrator. I'm like, look, I know it's based off a series of books, but I'm not reading a book. I'm watching an anime. Can you shut up for five minutes and let me actually watch people do things? Why don't you show us what you're telling us rather than just tell us? When they say yeah, this yeah, big like... apple happened, why don't you show us the battle? Right. Well, I think part of it is the weird stuff that happens. Like, I'm going to talk about that in my review right. regarding uh, it's not quite a narrator, but it may as well be a narrator. Some narrators are just there to be info dump people. Right. Yeah. Like, the narrator in Legend of Galactic Heroes, is, he doesn't really have much of a personality of his own. He's just the info dump. Mm -hmm. He's the Neil Stevenson chapter <laughs> Yo, personified. Fuck yeah, yeah. Neil Stevenson. I'm trying to get through anathem impossibly. Hard. Why are you doing that? Everyone <laughs> with any sense stopped after the Diamond Age. No, but, no, I, yeah. I've stopped. I have since stopped. Mm. I'm on to something Okay, else. good. You're on to Cryptonomicon? Of, fuck. Speaking of info dump narrators, Ipatsuki Kimusume. Mm -hmm. Well, no, no, Ipatsuki Musume, that guy, he's got a personality. The narrator makes that show better mm. by coming in and being the real hard sell, mm. cutting away to weird things right. and explaining ridiculous shit because he's really into it. And as far as being really into it, the Robotech guy is the epitome of the info dump narrator, the epitome of the highly enthusiastic narrator of the Kaiji Ipatsukiki Musume vein, is definitely Shigeru yeah. Chiba Fist of the North Star narrator. Oh, Even yeah. though he's really mostly just in the next episode previews. 
Yeah, really. In, in, initially, he was like, they do something, and then it would freeze frame, and then he'd just cut in and start screaming about something. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, over time, he started to become what is now considered the trademark Shigeru Chiba freaking out mm-hmm. role that later carried on into Pat Labor when he was Shige freaking out all the time. His entire career, yeah. That is like the ultimate one for me. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other, like, notable narrators. I mean, I know that, like, yeah. the very first role that Norio Wakamoto ever had was narrator for Aura Battler Dunbine. Right. And that was just, again, very similar to mm-hmm. the guy who's the voice of Jotaro, whose name is eluding me, but the first thing he did was just being, like, the next time on Zeta Gundam mm-hmm. guy. That's probably, like, where they put a lot of the rookies or the yeah. new guys. Because it's not like they have to match voices, they just have to get stuff out in a certain amount of time. Well, speaking of that, though, I mean, Norio Wakamoto narrator, if you ask me, the real Norio Wakamoto narrator role is Scryad narrator. Because <laughs> 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 the next episode on Scryad is just, they probably just got Norio Wakamoto and flashed the still images in front of him and had him just talk about whatever was on his mind. <laughs> And it worked out pretty well. Yeah, that's, that's mm. true. But yeah, I think a lot of narrator, like memorable narrators in anime are kind of going extinct mm. because, like you said, it's a throwback to the 80s style yeah. of doing things. Like you saw like Nobody's Boy Remy, that was like a 70s thing. Yeah. That also had the narrator in it. Rosa Versailles had a narrator, but again, that's more like the info dump mm-hmm. style things. Yeah. I mean, if you look at just a lot of 80s things, like if you have ever heard of those Louis L'Amour audio dramas that were done in the <laughs> yes. 80s, the narrator and, uh, describes that's also the, everything. You know, the narrator for those is the Robotech guy. It's yes. Tom Weiner. Yes. <laughs> nice. Yeah, the narrator described everything that was happening, and mm-hmm. that's very 80s style, because today when you hear an audio drama, they try to convey as much as possible without yeah. saying anything. I think it used to be that they felt they had to make things much more explicit, like that they had to yeah. explain things to people. Because it was the same thing, like, if you watch older television shows, like US television shows, there's like a huge difference in the amount of recurring characters and the amount of complexity for some of the things and what they'd give you in the last time on I think the ultimate was like in Bad American Dubbing and Cornpone Flicks, it was Bad 3 specifically. They were playing a clip from the beginning of an episode to the Carl Masek dub Captain Harlock and the Queen of a Thousand Years, which was basically made from taking episodes of Captain Harlock and episodes of Queen Millennia and making it into one show where they're talking to each other. The narrator for the recap went on for like five minutes and they were talking like eventually Matt Murray and Dave Merrill and all those guys were cutting in. It's like, Okay, we know this. Mm-hmm. Get on with it. Yeah. All right, the show's been running for 50 billion episodes now. You can stop <laughs> explaining who the people are. Yeah. And then eventually they just start screaming. It's like, shut the fuck up! He's still talking! <laughs> He's still talking! <laughs> I think anime with the crazy narrators in it, not really <laughs> something that we think about that often, but I think a good narrator can put it over the edge. Like, oh, I can't yeah. wait for season two of Kaiji. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, what else do we got for the email? All right, we've got another email from Nicole Peterson. She says, hello, I started listening to the AWO podcast a few weeks ago, and I've been enjoying it a lot. I started reading uh, Ressentiment because on your review, and I love it. As a kind of old fogey anime and manga fan, 23 seems to be old in fandom. I really appreciate that you review series that are not big in America, series that are not geared to appeal to the majority of anime fans, and series that were released more than 10 years ago. I think that covers all of the above this week. Yeah. 
It's really frustrating to see most anime and manga media center around the big three of Naruto, Bleach, and Death Note, and ignore series that are odd or unpopular, even though they should have as much attention as the big three get. I also loved your review of Kaiji, an exploration into gambling manga, which I'm now somewhat obsessed with. I think I'm doomed to like manga genres that have no chance of being released in the US, such as Mahjong manga and Salaryman manga. So keep up the good work. Yeah, I think we all understand how that is. I'm sure Aaron Finnegan also feels your pain. Aaron Finnegan was mentioning how much she'd like to see golf manga, even though she doesn't have any care for golf. Yeah. There's cheese-tasting manga. And... Yeah, because they can always do something interesting with it. Like, I don't really like sports that much, but sports anime is usually pretty awesome. She continues and says, Sorry this email may seem kind of rambly, but I wanted to ask what you thought of PAC if you went to it. I enjoyed the convention a lot, I also did the illustration for the guidebook cover, but it made me worry if there's a future for anime conventions geared towards older fans, that are not conventions strictly for the pornier side of anime and manga. There is Yaoi-kan, which is restricted to those 18 and over, but I've heard from friends who have gone that it still suffers from the squealy anime fan problem. Obviously, teenagers make up the majority of the anime conventions, but a lot of older anime fans are tired of going to conventions filled with screaming teenagers with no social skills. There's obviously a need for older fan conventions, but it doesn't seem like it's a viable option right now, as PAC has shown, as awesome as a convention as it was. What's your take on the future of conventions for older fans? Will we get our due, or are we doomed to be surrounded by 14-year-olds in Naruto costumes they bought off eBay? Well, we didn't go to Providence Anime Conference, yeah. unfortunately. We were, we were invited. If we, if we did go, you would have seen us, because there probably weren't going to be that many people there. We probably would have met you. How many people Again, it, did they estimate were there? It sounds like uh, you know, a couple, like 100 maybe, if that. Which is for a first-year con. Again, it's okay, but again, I think they had a fairly decent sized hotel because all yeah. the reports I hear from like Dave Merrill and stuff is like, oh yeah, hotel's really nice, but it's pretty sparse. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know, like a uh, future of events like this. No one really wanted to try anything like that until they tried it because yeah. they said, oh well, no one will show up. Most of the people who come to the convention are, are pretty young, and the people who are older fans are too jaded to go to any anime convention whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of true. Yeah. I, don't know. I, don't, I don't know if it really has a very lengthy future ahead of it, just because anime is, by and large, a very young interest. Yeah, for, you know, I mean, people. with so much of the fandom being young, and I think that not only does that make it difficult to really build up any decent-sized convention base for older fans, but I think a lot of the older fans, at least in my experience online, are either people that don't really have as much of an issue with dealing with the teenagers... Or they're people who aren't really super involved in fandom anymore. Right. Like, a lot of the older fans have kind of fallen out of... I mean, they might still watch anime, and they might still read things, but they don't really participate in fandom as such. So they may not have that much interest in going to conventions anymore. I've actually noticed that as well. I mean, most of the older fans we know, they watched anime at the time... And now they don't really watch anime anymore. They, mm -hmm. they still definitely like the shows that they grew up with, whether it's like, say, Star Blazers or Maze Koku or, I don't know, if you want to go back for, or... yeah, Prince Planet. But mm -hmm. maybe they're more interested in other things now because they've right. got grown-up responsibilities or who knows. Yeah, a lot of the other people that I know in fandom who are older is a lot of people that when the kind of crossover happened between anime and manga fandom and sort of Western media fandom which used to be really separate, a lot of the Western media fans who tended to be older have now started getting into anime and manga and sometimes even, like, Japanese dramas and tokusatsu. 
But their fandom interest and dedication is still to the Western media stuff. Well, it is, but even though they do participate in fandom for anime and manga, but a lot of times it's with other people who are from Western media fandom. So I don't even know if they go to anime conventions as much or if they just kind of go to the established Western media conventions and just talk to the people there about anime and manga. But anyway, so, yeah, I think that's yeah. an explanation for, like, where all these older fans are. I mean, sure, they exist. Sure, we see them on the internet. But it's kind of like this podcast. The amount of people local to us who listen to AWO, we can probably count it on one hand, maybe two hands. Mm-hmm. But taken over the entire world, you get a decent amount of people who would listen to this show. And it's the same way for something like Providence Anime Conference or any anime convention, theoretically, that would cater towards like older fan base. Yeah. They're out there. They're just very dispersed. And if you have a convention, you have to come to this one spot. Mm-hmm. And maybe in that local area, like we said, we couldn't get there. It was too expensive to right. transport ourselves mm-hmm. there. Yeah, you have to do something that's going to make it worthwhile for people to travel that distance and pay pay that much money to go to that convention and unfortunately that usually means some kind of massive guest or something like that or you have to offer something really special unfortunately it's also sort of a rough issue in that one of the great things about anime is that it's very vibrant and there's Mm. lots of things going on in it and that's largely because the fandom is so young if you look at sci-fi fandom especially literary sci-fi fandom that's just awful because everyone in it is old and angry (laughs) and there's just not as much going on in it. There'd be plenty of stuff going on for an anime convention that was geared towards, let's say, the older people, just because there's a lot of panels. Like, everyone said pack. Mm -hmm. There weren't a whole lot of people, but there were a ton of panels, and the panel attendance was very, very high. That's fandom stuff for me, and whether you consider that more fandom stuff than, I don't know, being there just in the hall or shopping in the deals room is up to you. Right. But from a discussion level... There is stuff to talk about Yeah, that you know yeah, would definitely. be interesting to talk about, which is probably what we're going to get into now because we've been talking for like half an hour. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. I think maybe the biggest hope would be to try and do maybe more of an academic kind of event, but... We don't have that many academic folks yeah. here. So... A lot of them and also, a lot of the, the academic texts well. are infuriating. <laughs> like, I didn't have the heart to ask for a copy of Macadamia 3 because I have not finished reading through Macadamia 2 or Robot Ghosts and Wired Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that my copy of Mechademia 2 must be sitting in some post office somewhere because they sent it to all of us and I was moving right I, when... Oh, okay. I thought I handed it to you. I thought they sent me three copies and I gave everybody uh, one, but maybe I'm thinking of the first one. Yeah, the, I don't know that happened with the first one. The second one I know must be sitting at my old address somewhere. Yeah. I was moving right when they sent it. What I read on that was interesting, but a lot of the academics seemed to be like spread out all around the world. Mm-hmm. There seemed to be a couple in Britain, a couple in America... Yeah. And there aren't that many. All right, well, I don't know if we have any news this time. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. Let's news! Working to restore power. Okay, and we have the first actual news segment that we've done in quite a long time. Almost too long, because uh, a lot of news has actually happened. We'll start off with some news that either you'll find very sad, or if you're very sick, hilarious. There were a couple of deaths since the last time that we... Yeah, one of the most regrettable deaths, considering what we're talking about this episode. I guess what Daryl is referring to I'll get to in a bit, but actually what's interesting is that two of these deaths came from the same show. And first of all, we have Mikio Terashima. Mikio Terashima 
was probably most well known as maybe Berg Katz in Gotcha Man. He's done a ton of other things. He was 77 years old, so he's been working forever and ever and ever. And the other death was Hisayuki Toriyumi, who actually was the director of Gotcha Man, but yep. also did a couple of other things too, didn't he, Daryl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was awesome credit that uh, was... You see, basically, the dirty secret of not just this podcast, but also 88% of all anime fandom is that if it weren't for Anime News Network, everything would be dead. So as from reading this news article about this guy's passing on the Anime News Network, they also credited him as being the supervising animation director for Bow. Oh, boy. Which we will be talking about momentarily. Other things that he did that were notable, he also did the original Area 88 OAV. Right, series. which is... Mm-hmm. I actually mentioned this way back in show number four, I think Something it was. Something like that, yeah. That Area 88 was kind of the show that made me an anime fan. And to this guy's credit, he must have done really good work because the animation in the original Area 88 OAV is astonishing. And yeah. say what you will about Bao, but it's very well animated. A lot of his things typically have pretty high production values. They're not necessarily like great shows. Like one of the things that he worked on that comes to mind is Like the Clouds, Like the Wind. Have you guys seen that? I have seen that. It's very it's Studio Ghibli-esque. Trying very hard to recreate a Studio Ghibli film, but not necessarily living up to that. Apparently this guy was an episode director for Speed Racer. Holy crap, that goes back a long ways. One other death, maybe not as important, maybe even more important, depending on uh, your view of this, is of course the drummer for loudness, Mune Higuchi. Hopefully he has actually found Odin. Yes, uh, he'd been searching for it, it was his dream. (laughs) I think I remember hearing that he was not doing too well, so it's sad to hear that he passed away. Yeah, he had liver cancer, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. He couldn't have been that old. He was 49 years old, so not old at all, really. It's something else to live up to. uh, What was that one drummer from that Wild Zero zombie movie that died of a heart attack at 25? One of the members of Guitar Wolf. Yeah, Guitar Wolf. But it wasn't Guitar Wolf. No, no. no. One of the guys, heart attack at 25. I don't know how that happens. Drugs, drugs, drugs. On with some other news. To mark the uh, spiral that anime seems to be in right now, Bandai is going to be laying off a whole bunch of its staff. Not happy news, clearly. Apparently Bandai has got like 19 people on their staff full-time, and they're going to be laying a portion of them off. They're saying they will still continue licensing and releasing strong titles. However, there could be fewer titles released in the future due to what's going on in the market. This comes amidst Funimation ADV Films and Tokyo Pop doing basically all the same things all around Ganeon disappearing. Well, that's the same for pretty much every company everywhere at the moment is laying off a lot of people. I don't know how long this file is going to survive, but right now as we're recording this, we're in a time where unemployment is at a very, very high rate. Everybody in pretty much all walks of industry are laying people off. Sprint is laying people off. Circuit City closed down. 34,000 people are out of jobs now, etc., etc., etc. So part of it is, okay, yeah, anime in general isn't doing so hot, but another part of it is just no one's doing hot anywhere. Kind of going along with this as well, Diamond Distributors has a new policy. This is actually a big one. Yeah, this is actually really important. 
I'm getting this kind of second hand, I'm not getting like the full details on it. Basically what is happening is that, for those of you who don't know, Diamond Distributors is a giant massive company that virtually got every single comic book store in America at its beck and call. Right, they are the direct market, more yes. or less. Any comic book store wants to get comic books, they have to deal directly with Diamond Distributor. Just comic books. If you are a real bookstore, you do not deal with Diamond Distributors. That makes sense, because Barnes & Noble would not deal with Diamond Distributors if they treated them the way that they do. Will this affect stuff that you buy through Amazon or not? I've heard differing comments on whether it will. I doubt it, because Amazon is not a store that is known for having lots of stock that they just can't get rid of. When you think of Amazon, I think their business model is built on the idea that it's shipping from some warehouse somewhere, depending on what you order. I don't know if Diamond has to sell things to Amazon, and then you buy the Amazon stuff, and then they just have it forever. That doesn't seem like a very good way to keep in business. And to get to the news item, yeah. Diamond is a monopoly. And so anytime they make a decision... It affects all the comic book stores and anyone that's on the direct market. The way right. Diamond works, if you've never been to a comic book store, if you own a comic book store, you have to order your books in advance. And there is a minimum amount that you have to order. In the past, it was $1,500, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. They are upping that minimum order size to $2,500 which is a pretty substantial increase when you consider the fact that comic books cost like 250 to $4 for a monthly. Obviously, the distributor doesn't pay quite that much, but they pay slightly less. $1,000 of comic books is a lot. I mean, yeah, you still can buy graphic novels and figurines and all the other various things that Diamond sells, but this is pretty big stuff just because that's that much more things that you might potentially not be selling to anybody that you can't return. Because unlike yeah. any other bookstore, like Gerald was talking about, or Best Buy or what have you, if you buy from Diamond and don't sell your stock, there is no returning it. You don't return things for credit. Once you buy it, it's yours. Sales are final. That's why when you go to comic book conventions or anime conventions, there are some things that they've just been trying to get rid of forever that they just will put in the bargain bin just that's to why, get it off the shelf. Yeah, that's why you can go to comic book conventions and buy like these very elaborate figures for like $15, $20 because they had to buy yeah. a whole bunch of them and Diamond won't let them return it and they just have to get them out of the store. Right. It happens a lot. Essentially, yeah, Diamond is upping this and this affects manga quite a bit, especially the smaller publishers. I actually heard of this through um, ALC Publishing. That's Erica Friedman's company, and they publish a lot of the Yuri stuff. I'm just going to read it directly here. For them to hold on to any stock at all, it has to maintain an order amount of about $1,500. So that means there has to be about 100 follow-up orders at all times for them to hold on to any book in their storage space. That apparently is uh, quite a lot. I like Dave Merrill's take on this, which he posted to his live journal. I'm just going to read off of his post. Speaking of comic books, I've been reading the commentary on this whole Diamond thing, and it's not very surprising to me. They're a monopoly, and while they need to make decisions like this to save their business, when they make decisions like this, it has a disproportionate effect on everybody else. Unfortunately, there's so little money in comic books that no other distributor has managed to stay solvent. Why is there so little money in comic books? It's because most of them are crap that people won't spend their money on. I mean, seriously. Go to your local comic book store, if it's still in business, and take a good look at what's out this week. 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of garishly colored $5, 32-page pamphlets designed to appeal to the Arrested Developmental 35-year-old. There are only so many Arrested Development 35-year-olds willing to shell out $5 an issue for Lady Tits Crotch Blood Patrol, okay? The market for this kind of material may be a little saturated, and yet there are legions of people willing to work for next to nothing to bring their unique vision of bloody muscular super ghost devils into expensive print to clog the racks of your local comic shop, which are already sagging under the weight of other people's wasted college funds or cashed-in 401ks. I don't blame Diamond for not wanting to carry this material one little bit, and I think it'll be a blessed relief on the part of shop owners to have less of this dreck clogging up the pipeline. I also don't believe this will be anything more than a bump in the road for alternative cartoonists, for indie cartoonists, for anybody who's doing work other than inept, pale echoes of whatever's trendy. Most publishers with brains saw this coming a long time ago and have moved into the wider world. And most cartoonists would rather draw than beat their head against the wall of trying to sell non-sexy fist blood lady comics to the Wednesday crowd debating Aquaman versus Catwoman at the local comic shop. And they have means of getting their work out that doesn't involve Diamond at all. I just found that highly entertaining, largely for his hypothetical comic book titles. Yeah, I think it depends on the question of of where it affects things, because if it does affect any of the other distributors for things like manga, as well as regular comic books, for some of the small publishers, yeah, sure, there's probably going to be a lot of crap that does deserve to kind of not be clogging up the shelves anymore, but if you're losing, you know, niche product... It's actually viable. Right, the vertical um, stuff yeah. or the dark horse or the drawn and quarterly. Yeah. There's so much manga coming out now that I can never keep track of everything that's coming up in order to pre-order everything. And I don't even always have enough funds to buy every single thing exactly as it comes out. So the only thing I'm really concerned about is whether some of this is going to make it difficult for me to buy some of those niche titles. Later down the line. I have no idea if $1,500 is a lot of money for a certain manga to sell, because as Clarissa was saying, there are just so many titles out there. Yeah. And unfortunately, I'm rather out of it as to Diamond as a whole, and so mm-hmm. I don't really Nothing's know. Nothing's changed. The last I heard was a long time ago in that they were a really shitty group of people that made it really difficult to run a comic book store. Yeah, nothing's changed. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, keep that in mind. On with some more news. It is now officially an end of an era. Some would argue that this era ended about 10 years ago, but it's official. Pioneer <laughs> is going to stop making Laserdisc players. Those are really big DVDs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was amazed <laughs> that they're actually still making them. I didn't realize they were still being manufactured. Apparently, they only stopped making Betamax like a year ago. Really? Yeah. Huh. Where do they sell these things from? Because I never see them. Well, for a while, people were buying Betamax tapes because of the added resolution. There was a small niche market of people who wanted the higher resolution. But Mm. this was before the advent of the newer technologies. So I guess they only sell them through, like, specialty shops or something? Because I never normally see, like, Laserdisc players for sale. Yeah, you don't see Laserdiscs or the players or anything on sale at any major electronics store here in the United States. Maybe there's some out-of-the-way, hardcore, or Akihabara sort of place that they'd do small runs for, perhaps. But yeah, yeah, it was Laserdisc was kind of dead and gone for a long, long, long time. I'd say even more than 10 years. When DVDs first came out, the Laserdisc hardcore crowd 
had a reason to still hold on to them, because if you look at old DVDs from 1998 and all that, they don't really look that great, because they didn't really have the uh, compression technology down yet and such. So if you really wanted uncompressed video and audio, Laserdisc still carried that. And also just the fact that dimension-wise, the Laserdisc was larger, especially Pioneer was very good at including yeah. very elaborate bits of artwork or liner notes and that sort of thing with your Laserdisc purchase. Yeah, those of you who actually bought Tenshi Muyo on Laserdisc way back when... That uh, is the one I was thinking of, because that's how someone had me sh watch Tenshi Muyo, was, oh, you can't watch this tape, don't rent it from the store, we're going to watch so-and-so's LDs. Yeah, and the LDs themselves came with two sets of liner notes, one in the original Japanese in color, and then the one in single color in English, and they were really, really nice. And I know some people have held on to Laserdiscs just for the cover art. You have so much more space to work with. Yeah, in total, if you've ever dealt with Laserdiscs a whole lot, you're probably happy to see them go, because it was enormous discs that <laughs> held one hour yeah. per side. Yeah, you have to flip them over to see the rest of the movie if you're the watching only the only real like benefit to them was the cover art. Because they had such large packaging because the discs were so large that you'd get this gigantic, gorgeous packaging. Yeah, they were roughly oh. comparable to vinyl records as far yeah, as the packaging. Yeah, pretty much. And so similar to how with vinyl records going down to CDs, you went from these giant, gorgeous packages with big liner notes and booklets to these little tiny jewel cases with like tiny album art. You know, it's the same thing. DVDs, the artwork on the cover is only so big. When it was between VHS and LD, I can definitely understand people yeah. picking up LD, but when it's between DVD now and LD, there's no comparison. I mean, if you wanted to have that ability to freeze frame something, you had to have, I believe it was CAV format laser discs. That yeah, there were CAV and, and CLV, which is basically the difference between, like, if you guys with VHS players remember this, there used to be SP and EP. And it was LP for if you had certain players. Yeah. That was basically... One had higher video quality at the expense of less recording time or yeah, less playback like two time. Two hours, maybe. 30 minutes. 30 yeah, it was 30 minutes, minutes, minutes for side. KAV per side if you had laser yeah. discs. Uh, just imagine watching like a two-hour-long movie then. 30 right. minutes per side. That's a lot of jumping up and down. Yeah, I think I remember seeing the ones that was like, you know, Terminator on Laserdisc, and it was like three discs or something. Well, that was how the initial Criterion collection of Akira was released, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. And a lot of those extras were miraculously saved and ported over to the Genion re-release of Akira from a while back. And who knows what's going to happen with the uh, Bandai release of Akira that's coming out later this year. The Blu-ray mm. one, yeah. Criterion was originally only Laserdisc. That's how they started. Right. And yeah. they're now DVD. Speaking of DVD companies... Arise from really the grave... <laughs> oh, you're thinking of that thing. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of something else since you brought it up. Discotech is going to be relicensing or re-relicensing, however it goes now, the <laughs> Fist of the North Star anime film, as they put it. Right. The 1980s movie. Six. Oh, I, I didn't specify. I just said 80s movie. 198X <laughs> is the actual year that we classify that film as taking place in. I have actually seen what they're using for the source of this in Japan. And they just released this uh, remastered edition of the movie on DVD. And it looks really, really, really nice. And so that's the source they're using, is this remastered? The source they're using is that Region 2 remastered one, because it also includes the streamlined dub as oh, an extra. 
the streamlined dub, it actually requires some branching for the DVD because it differs from the original cut. As yeah, far, the terrible ending. Yeah, the bad ending yeah. and the slightly different credits and that sort of thing. But if they release just that straight up, I'll be pretty happy. I was considering at J-Con, last J-Con we did the Odin Photon Space Sailor Starlight Midnight Endurance Marathon. And, <laughs> and this year I was thinking, Fist of the North Star, Streamline Dub, presented in How, How They, they Lie to Vision. A special cornpone <laughs> flicks trademark, which is to say, we will play the dub with the subtitles for the Japanese script turn on, so you can see uh, how they lied. Yeah, that's always fun. Yeah, the only objection I really have to this new release is that it is still from a censored print of the movie. Oh, so does it have like the semen blood? No, what I mean is for the theatrical film, they censored that by basically color bleeding any close-ups uh. where somebody would die. And most people wouldn't even know the movie was censored. It just, that's the way that movie looks. It's weird. Mm. But it's done that way, so you can't really see what's going on. For a long time, people only thought that the theatrical trailer was uncensored, and oh, there was no proof that an uncensored print actually exists, but I have the YouTube link to prove that the Italian VHS release, possibly also the Italian DVD, is uncensored. So I, I kind of wish that Toei had used the uncensored print and done the very expensive remastering right. restoration job on that instead. But yeah, you can't have everything. I yeah. swear that I've seen that uncensored version, because I remember watching this like a long, long time ago, and there was a scene in it, I th don't know if it was in the scene with the Fang Clan, but there was a scene where a guy got chopped in half, like vertically, and you saw a ton of detail in when he was chopped in half. That definitely sounds like the Fang Clan fight, but the easiest way to tell is usually just from watching beginning portions of the film. And if you saw it in English, there is no uncensored streamlined dub version of it. Hmm. Fist of the North Star, the movie. If you want to see the original characters animated really, really nicely, that's the one yeah. to go for. And I'm surprised that Discotech was just there still. Because it's like a yeah. company run by two guys. Yeah, I didn't think they were still around. I guess, well, what they do is they mostly make their money selling, like, the weird cult movies right. kind of stuff. There. It's like Animigo. Animigo makes all its money through the samurai films. Every five years mm. or something, they pop up and license an anime. And I guess Discotech is kind of the same way, although Discotech just licenses one or two weird little things here and there. Yeah. And speaking of licensing weird things, this is probably the biggest surprise that I've seen recently in terms of stuff getting licensed. A new company called Zaka Films, they're going to be bringing out a English subtitle DVD of the roots of Japanese anime until the end of World War II. Now this is actually different from the one that we talked about way back when, which was like the stuff that they discovered forever ago. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually older. This actually starts at 1930 to 1942, but that one I think was even older. Yeah, this book. one has Momotaru's Divine Sea Warriors on it, which yes. is the Japanese propaganda film about the cute, cuddly animals coming in and stopping America or whatever it was that happened in that. There was this one scene in it where they had some English dialogue, and the rumor was that they used prisoners POWs of war. POWs to POWs recite to, this yeah. English language stuff, because where yeah. else were they going to get English voice actors in World War II-era Japan? The English is pretty good, so that there might be something to that. Apparently, it's going to come with a DVD commentary by scholars of Japanese film and promotional placards and things like that. But yeah, this is a very, very unusual release. I really did not think that this would ever get released here. It's fairly cheap, too, isn't it? 35 bucks. Oh, it's not retail. that cheap. I wouldn't expect it to be too cheap, because I imagine they don't expect this to sell too many copies. 
But it's certainly interesting that this is actually getting uh, released at all. This is kind of like a set of several bits of news. This is uh, something that's been going on for a little while. If you've ever been onto Hulu, or I believe it's also Sling.com for a while, you've been seeing that Naruto Shippuden has been released almost day-to-date on those sites with a uh, subtitled version. Going in line with that, the Kadokawa Kado TV video service has also started up with English subtitled versions of their shows. Also, Crunchyroll, the shitty site that we don't really like a whole lot. Oh, but they're king of the martial world as far as online is concerned. Actually, Anime News Network is king of the martial world, but these guys might be the five-element ninja of the martial world. Yeah, and there's something here that is striking me quite a bit. They are going to be putting up a bunch of toy animation titles. Not necessarily that it is toy, but it's the particular shows. The two shows that I've got here are Galaxy Express 3.9 and Captain Harlock. Which are two great shows by Leiji Matsumoto, Captain Harlock more so than 3.9, because Galaxy Express 3.9, the TV series, ran for like a hundred and some episodes. Yeah. Most every episode is more or less the same thing. They go to some planet, there's some weird stuff going on. They learn something about Learn life. something about the human condition, and yeah. they get back on the train and, and do it all over again next week. Space Pirate Captain Harlock, if Christian Smith were listening, I know Elizabeth is, he'd probably say it's the second best anime ever made. I think it's very solid, but at 42 episodes, they probably could have told it in about half the time, and I think Christian would agree with me on that. But it's still a very good show. It's probably, like, mm-hmm. one of Rintaro's best. I would agree. I mean, I think that Rintaro's style works really well for Captain Harlock, because Captain Harlock is such a brooding... Very stoic, very silent kind of guy. Lots of classical music, lots of drinking wine and flying around and blowing up important things. And then even more scenes of just kind of sitting there with his wine, looking into space, thinking. Lots of that. This is really neat. Galaxy Express 3.9 is... The movies were released by Viz, which are very hard to find now, because they were only released on VHS. Captain Harlock was dubbed by uh, Ziv a long time ago in a really hilarious Not to be confused with Viz. Space Pirate Captain Harlock, the TV series, was actually also done by Carl Masek when he was taking parts of Harlock and parts of Queen Millennia to make Captain Harlock and the Queen of a Thousand Years. And uh, you can actually download a torrent of of that dub if you really are nostalgic (laughs) for that. It's one to check out, and it's interesting because, hey, it's on Crunchyroll, so it's not going to cost you a dime if you want to watch this show. I'd be interested to see the uh, view counter for that. Has Galaxy Express 3.9, the TV series, ever been released here in America? I don't think so. No, it is not. And the only way you'd see DVDs of the movies would be to uh, import the Region 3s, which actually have the English subtitle track on them, possibly stolen from the Viz release. I don't remember the full story of that, but it is a legit release with uh, English subtitles on it and the Japanese audio, if you are are willing to do that. I know a bunch of people who have seen the Galaxy Express 3.9 movies on sci-fi and hated them. Yeah, because because they cut an hour out of the movie, and it was dubbed. Now, take any movie, any movie at all. Now, cut a full hour out of it. Right. It's not going to be How good. How good is that movie going to be? You know? Unless it was Pearl Harbor, Gerald. If you cut an hour out of Pearl Harbor, then it's actually a pretty good movie. That's the fan Sukiyaki edit. Sukiyaki Western Django could do with two hours cut out of yeah, it. Yeah, but it still wouldn't be a good movie. No, that's true. It just would be more tolerable. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Let me show you the real Django when I come up to Orlando. <laughs> For those of you who do have iTunes accounts and want to uh, 
mess your computers up with a lot of DRM and whatever. Ganeon is posting a bunch of anime songs in iTunes, and they're going to be posting them in 22 different countries. Hmm. Some of the songs on here include the opening to Shakugan no Shana, Black Lagoon's opening theme, Red Fraction by Mel. Are they DRM'd? Because I know iTunes is supposed to be uh, doing DRM-free stuff right now, or starting. For these things, I'm not actually certain. Hmm, okay. But a bunch of anime songs are being released on there. I actually haven't really gone onto the iTunes store in a while. I wish so they'd put them on Amazon. Yeah, that would be a lot nicer, because Amazon is just like a straight MP3 that you get, right? Yeah. Anyway... This goes back to some news that we covered a whole long time ago as well. Not, well, actually not a whole long time ago, but a while ago. JoJo's Manga Part 3, apparently Shueisha caved in. Well, they already caved in. They're more they kind of in. excavating from the cave-in to dig out the bodies. But death only <laughs> makes you mad when you've got a parasitic worm inside of your brain and or a stone arrow in your heart. Yes. <laughs> What Daryl is referring to is that they are going to be releasing JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, the Part 3 manga, in a revised edition. For those of you who don't remember, there was a lot of controversy drummed up by crazy extremists, and that's the only thing I can call these people. Apparently they watched the JoJo's anime on the internet. They didn't yeah. even pay for it. I was about to say, now I'm confused, because my understanding was that the thing that caused the issue yes. was something that was only in the anime, not in the manga. Yes, you're absolutely right. And so this is this is like super caving in that Shueisha's so, doing. So what are they changing in the manga? That's a good question as well. All they are saying is that they held it back due to improper scenes. I would imagine that any re-altering that would need to be done would be at most like a panel or a shot. This yeah. wasn't really Probably. a sustained fundamental thing for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure where depicting the text of the Quran when you're yes. a non-believer or whatever that was that the charge was is really something that they need to spend a whole lot of time reworking. It could be as simple as blanking the page out or replacing it with just indistinct squiggles. Daryl was mentioning that, yeah, the Quran appeared in the anime version of this. It was being read by Dio. But that wasn't in the manga. No, in the manga, he's just reading an indistinct book with a bunch of squiggles in it. Right, so it'll be interesting to see what they end up taking out. So somebody saw this online and they got really upset and Shoeisha caved in. I don't actually know what the deal is with the anime version of it, if they're going to go back and modify that. Hmm. But I would think that that's the thing that they would need to modify yeah. more than anything. Rather than something doesn't actually cause any problems? I don't yeah, know. It's, rather confusing. It's really, really weird. I don't know. We know that there are a lot of people out there who are uh, aspiring anime voice actors. This is a little bit that I thought was kind of interesting, especially for the Johnny Otakus out there, perhaps. You know, Johnny Otaku has renounced his otaku ways in the anime world forever. Did, oh. you, did you know that? No, I didn't. Really? Oh, yeah, well, it's all true. Did he have true. a choice? Well, here's the thing. Let's say certain entities we knew wanted to get in touch with Johnny Otaku for an interview, and so maybe they contacted other people and said, hey, can you contact Johnny Otaku for us so we can make him famous? And Johnny Otaku wrote back saying, anime is in my past. That part of my life is over. Please don't ask me to do this ever again. Blah, 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 blah. Hmm. I was kind well, of hoping it would have made him more insane, but I guess it's just sort of <laughs> shamed him into submission. I don't yeah. know. Give it a little while. Maybe it just needs to simmer a bit. Who knows? Anyway, enough about Johnny Otaku. This was a little bit that talks about how 80% of CU, of voice actors out there, have to take a part-time job to make ends meet. 
should not be surprising. I mean, most yes. actors have to have other employment. Most yeah. American voice actors cannot live off of anime voice acting. Or even the regular voice acting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. because it, very few people can work full time as a voice actor. Most people have to do it supplementally. For the ultimate quote on this, do check the archives for our J-Con Con report mm -hmm. where we had an awesome <laughs> audio clip of Brett Weaver talking about how it is one can become a voice actor. And basically, at the end of the day, the point is made that if you work a minimum wage job at McDonald's, you make more money than most people do as voice actors. It's certainly the truth in Japan as well. Apparently there are about 1,600 people who work as voice actors in Japan. There are another 80,000 said to be applying to become voice actors in Japan. So, all of you insane people who think you can become voice actors and go to Japan to do voice acting. There are 80,000 people who have got much better Japanese skills than you do, and they're not getting a job. And it's one of those things, and just to editorialize for a moment here, there's been a lot of talk amongst us off of this podcast as to, like, why voice actors? Why is this such a dream to become a voice actor, either a Japanese voice actor or a dub voice actor? And I really think it's just the convention culture. Once you land that big role, you're kind of set for life, if not life, for a good several years, as far as groups and events willing to fly you across the country, if not the world, on their dime, put you up in nice hotels, get to go and meet lots of people who really, really like you. I always figured it was more of people want to be part of anime, like they want to like be involved in it, but... Yeah. I think people want that, uh, not a that lot of big fish in a small have... pond celebrity level. Well, I mean, I think what you're saying is there have, too. Like art skills or writing skills, such that I mean, but you you do hear a lot of people asking about writing as well. But there's probably a not lot more people on who the think that they acting. can do voice acting more so than they could do art. I don't really think it's writing. that pure a goal. I think a lot of people look at some of these guys and see how they just get basically all expense paid vacations weekend after weekend after weekend to go all sorts of places and if you're a guest at a convention they'll give you a gopher and they'll take you out around the place like here in florida if you come out to a florida convention i guarantee you that someone will be taking you to disney world or something like that and that can be pretty alluring and also if you're a crazy person you'll also have your pick of underage chicks to bang I'm I think just it's probably saying. both. I think there's people that that's their motivation, and I think that there's probably people who just want to make it know, their want, living. Want to do it because they want to be involved, and that's what they. And want all to it takes is one big role, and then you can keep going to cons forever. <laughs> Doug Smith, voice of Golden Boy. <laughs> do they still pay him to come out to these things? Uh, probably not, but okay. Th there's no telling. Yeah, because I mean, he was Golden Boy. What, 15 years ago now? Who knows. Anyway, that's all the news that I had. Did you guys have anything you wanted to bring up? I actually do. They're not really as uh, vast-reaching and the industry-related as uh, what you've got. These are more people who listen to our show have developments in what they're up to, and so I figured I may as well uh, talk about them. There's a pretty interesting thing going on by two folks I met at New York Anime Fest when I went two years ago. They've got a blog. We link to them on the sidebar. They're called The Reverse Thieves. They won't use real names to protect them because they are thieves in reverse, which is yes. to say they are detectives. But they are conducting a study. It is called The Otaku Diaries. It's a survey. It's completely anonymous. 
what it is. They're going to ask you some questions, and these are very personal questions. That's why it's anonymous. If you want to make up an email that you don't normally use just to take this thing, by all means. And they just want to study what kind of social lives, or lack thereof, people who describe themselves as otaku have. If you're interested in this, go to their website, www.reversethieves.com. There is a sidebar link on there for the Otaku Diary. Sign up for it. I signed up for it. I filled out my answers. Even though it's anonymous in a number, I think it'll be really obvious which ones are me. <laughs> so, you know, I'll, I'll just deal with that and accept it. But I'm very interested in this to see how it'll turn out. I'm not sure what they're going to do with it. I guess the idea is they're going to accept submissions for this until the end of March or thereabouts. They want you to spend some time filling this out. It's a very long survey. It's about 150 questions. All of them short answer. It's not multiple choice. They expect you to write. Be as verbose as you like on this to answer it to your satisfaction. And they're going to compile this data and look at it and blog about the results over the next uh, however long. I think this is a really neat idea. And I want to just sort of send that message out there if you're listening to this now and you think it's a good idea to give it a shot. Another listener of ours, she actually set up this website quite some time ago. The name of it is Anime Confessions. Unfortunately, the URL is not AnimeConfessions.com. Uh, we'll just put a link up to it in the show notes. Maybe if you search Google for it, it'll come up. Let me try right now. It uh, is not the first result. So yeah, we will put that... So is it like fandom secrets, but just for anime? It's not quite a post-secret sort of thing. I was hoping it was post-secret, yeah. the otaku version, but yeah. uh, it is not well, quite... Well, they do have fandom secrets, which is not just anime, but there's a lot of anime stuff on there. Yeah, so. it's more just a general published space for people to just sort of put your fandom-related essays on. And there's all sorts of different topics of discussion for it, but right now, <laughs> there aren't any submissions, or maybe there's two submissions, because nobody knows about it. So I figure I want to put the word out. If you got something that you want to talk about in a certain area of fandom that you would prefer to be a little more permanent than, say, the uh, Hey Answer fans on Anime News Network, check this out. I mean, if you want to talk about characters, if you want to talk about the old school, if you want to talk about working for anime, if you want to talk about fan fiction, if you want to talk about Yaoi or Yuri, whatever, there are multiple different topics, very general topics, that she'll just accept essays for, and it'll just be an archive for these things. And I think that's a pretty neat thing, too. So, uh, yeah, check that out, Anime Confessions. There's an archive in the making, much like the archive that we're sort of trying to put together, <laughs> or Gerald and Clarissa, anyway, also called the Otaku Archive, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. uh, scanning old bits of yesteryear. If you've got any of those things, do email us about uh, donating those to be scanned. And uh, one last thing, uh, these guys probably don't need the plug because they're more famous than us by now, but the guys over at For Tax Reasons do have a new animated bit up on YouTube for uh, Ronin Dojo. If you've never heard of this, they're uh, very, very high-quality animated bits that they're hopefully trying to you know, make something out of. I mean, I know a lot of people think this should be a show on Adult Swim, and I would watch this show if it was. It's kind of like what I want, the Eltingville Club. They, they had that pilot of that a long time ago, mm -hmm. and it didn't get made. The YouTube channel for this is www.youtube.com slash for tax reasons, all one word. Is that F-O-R, Tax okay. Reasons. So that's got Ronin Dojo, Community College DX, and the Digital Pirates of Darkwater, and the parody G.I. Joe <laughs> public service announcements, <laughs> only it's the GOP, and all, oh. all that stuff. But, I mean, we talked about this a while ago because of that uh, I'm in your manger killing your savior. It's all the same guys doing that. 
And so they have a new one up, and it's pretty funny. So do check that out. That's, yeah, those um, guys do not need our plug. They, they don't need it because they've got like so many views <laughs> at this point. The GOP PSAs yeah. have like almost 75,000 views. Some of these Ronin Dojo ones yeah, have they're like... they're way bigger than us, yeah, so we can't really yeah. give almost them any Almost like 200,000 views, so you probably know about it already, but I figured I may as well mention that since I thought yeah. it was pretty good. With that, we'll get on with the rest of the show. In a world where Otaku idolize poorly camouflaged ninjas... <laughs> Believe it. Where gamers spend hours on mindless quests. I'm logged on to an MMORPG with people from all over the world and getting XP with my party using TeamSpeak. Where moviegoers prefer romantic disaster comedies. There's one podcast to review them all. Vesna. Sakuna. Nibor. Starin. Pop Rocks and Soda. A podcast aimed at reviewing anything. And everything from anime and manga. To film and comics. To music and books. So visit our MySpace at myspace.com slash I like Pop Rocks. Our blog spot at Pop Rocks and Soda Podcast.blogspot.com. Or our YouTube account at Pop Rocks and Soda 07. If you wish to be saved from the mundane. Pop Rocks and Soda! It's cracktastic! Hey, this is Nibor, and I approve this Rickroll. Ha, bitches. Hey folks, Daryl here. Just thought I'd chime in and say we'll probably stop this file right here and split up show 76 into two parts, such that the reviews are on a separate file. I don't know, maybe if you'd prefer this in the future... Have the intro news in one and the reviews in another? I don't know. I like to have them all in one whenever possible, but I also don't like to have individual files run for excessively long. Of course, two hours is already excessively long for most people, but whatever.